Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the School Safety Free Period. I'm Amanda Klinger. And I'm Dr. Amy Klinger. And we are with the Educators School Safety Network. Uh, we are, and we're together. And we are together in person, which we aren't always. Uh, well, we're always in person. We're just not always in person in the same physical space. <laughs> uh, we are a national nonprofit organization and we provide school safety training and resources and technical assistance to schools. And one of the things that we do, um, where we're a little bit less formal, although we are dressed kind of formally today, we're a little less formal, but we're still pretty serious and we're still pretty academic, is our school safety free period. So we talk about issues that are happening and things that schools and, and educators are dealing with. And then we try to have some takeaway and some useful discussion. Um, yep. So you ready to get started? So today we have a theme and then a one-off at the end. So stay cool. tuned to the end or you'll miss the one-off. Uh, so today I want to talk a little bit about something that um, I think is happening with, unfortunately, um, has always kind of happened, but is maybe happening with a little more frequency, and that's talking about zero tolerance. And if we go back historically, we know that, you know, there's all those infamous stories of the kid chewing his Pop-Tart into the shape of a gun and, and yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And typically zero tolerance stuff um, has gotten us into trouble in terms of weapons or mm -hmm. things with guns. Mm -hmm. um, and now we're seeing um, two different incarnations of it that I want to kind of talk about today. The first one is sort of creating, um, boxing ourselves in as educators with the policies and procedures that we make. Okay. And in this particular case, it had to do with threat assessment. So there's a, a situation in a, in a very high-performing district in Pennsylvania, um, and this happened in the fall, where a six-year-old girl with Down syndrome um, was involved in an incident where she pointed her finger like a gun at a teacher and said, I shoot you. Um, and because of the policy, which was very um, constricting and limiting, it required that the police be notified and that the police be part of the investigation. And so if we kind of look back at what the idea of it is, the idea is that what we advocate for, that we want to have a collaborative, multidisciplinary approach at looking at someone who is potentially at risk for violence against themselves or others. So this was a threat assessment um, protocol sort of problem. Mm -hmm. So philosophically or theoretically makes sense. Unfortunately, when you apply that metric with a zero tolerance sort of uh, view to a six-year-old with special needs and you indicate that we need to get the police involved to investigate and you know and the mom um, you know has some really legitimate criticisms and she says my daughter is six and in kindergarten are you trying to tell me you think she's out running the rough streets of our town doing something mm -hmm. and so the intent is good but the implementation really undermines the process to a significant extent and so and, I, think I think that zero tolerance and maybe zero tolerance isn't the right term mm -hmm. but painting ourselves in the corner with our policy is well I think it's probably important to back up a step and say why why would you have a policy like that in the first place I mean there is a reason a reasonable uh, part of it which is if a student makes a threat of violence we need to act accordingly and if a 15 year old says I'm gonna blow this place up and then they say oh I was joking I was joking it doesn't mean that we need to throw them in the dungeon, but we have to address that and we have to talk about it. And so I think maybe the policy comes from the position that we are going to take this type of discussion seriously. Mm -hmm. But that looks very different 
depending on the age and the developmental capacity of the kid. Um, I think that maybe that's what got lost in the implementation. Yeah, and it really illustrates that if you are implementing threat assessment protocols with an emphasis on checking the boxes of a procedure, mm -hmm. not an emphasis on what's most effective for kids, then you're going to find yourselves in these situations mm -hmm. where you're going, hey, sorry, I got to call the cops. It's, I, know, I know she's six, but we got to call the cops. Mm -hmm. As opposed to what is a developmentally appropriate way to look at this incident that mm -hmm. happened in the classroom. And the school, I think, even really sort of came from the perspective of we don't really want to do this either, but our policy says we need to involve um, yeah. law enforcement. And, and I think it's also important when we talk about six-year-olds, and we've, we've talked before about a six-year-old who says, I can't take off my backpack, I've got a bomb in it. Yeah. That doesn't mean that just because a student is six, we automatically assume there cannot be danger. We've had six-year-olds who have brought weapons, brought to, weapons school. to school. It doesn't mean that we just go, they're six, automatically not a threat. They're 16, automatically a threat. We still need to do a little bit of investigation. We still need to determine, was this a kid just mimicking a behavior? And there still might be supports and interventions, even with a sixth grader, mm -hmm. about that's not something that we joke around about. And that's not something that we talk about at school. We don't talk about shooting and guns at school. And, and that, is a, that is something that can be scaled. And so I guess the, the question is, can we make our policies such that our policies are, we are going to investigate each incident, we are going to provide appropriate supports and interventions for each incident, and that's going to look potentially very differently, depending on if we have a older kid who is troubled and really struggling and maybe really contemplating violence in some form versus a kid that's much younger that is not uh, necessarily having ideations of violence, but is sort of play acting yeah. at something. And the irony of it is that you had a parent, I, I think you have in this situation a parent that is very supportive of the notion of we need to intervene and make sure that my daughter understands this mm -hmm. isn't appropriate and so on. Mm -hmm. And instead of that supportive collaboration, you ended up with, with more of an adversarial relationship yeah. based on nothing more than a potentially poorly written policy yep. or a, a, a not good understanding of what exactly the capabilities of threat, threat assessment are. And yep. that's one of the concerns these, and we, you know, we've talked about different ones if you've listened to the podcast at all different times. We've talked about different ones of where threat assessment gets a black eye, if mm -hmm. you will, because of the misapplication. The process is not the problem. Yep. The process, you know, and, and the more we begin to say, everyone needs to implement threat assessment, which we love, the more likely it is that people are going to implement threat assessment in a way that is not necessarily in the best interest of kids. And that pushback, that black eye for threat assessment really concerns me because it is so valuable yeah. for us to do it. So, so there's that one. And then we can also take um, a couple other ways of at what point are we going to insist on compliance? Are we going to say we have a zero tolerance for this? And this one was talking about um, a movement, uh, a campaign of mothers who are going to, are working with districts to require that parents sign a letter or sign a form that indicates that they know that weapons must be properly stored in their home. Um, and it has to do with the idea that, you know, the significant percentage of school shootings, people bring the guns, you know, get, get the guns from home or from a, a relative, that mm -hmm. sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. And the idea that proper storage of firearms can 
decrease gun theft, suicides, all that kind of stuff. All really good points. My concern, or not necessarily concern, but my reason in bringing it forward is are we going to put educators or schools in the position of having to mandate with a zero tolerance sort of way social policies that are really community issues as opposed to school issues? Mm -hmm. So I don't know what your take is on that, but um, and there's and it's it's different than a gun storage awareness campaign, which I think is really good. Well, it's, they're asking them to sign the pledge? Um, they're asking them to sign letters that attest that any firearm, uh, firearms they own are safely stored. So they are... But does the kid get kicked out of school if the parents don't sign the pledge? Well, and that's where it gets a little iffy. Some of the schools are saying it's a requirement, you must do it. Um, they I don't really they talk about they can't really require well, that. Well, right. That's why they don't really talk about what they're going to do. Other ones are just saying this is what we support. But I wonder, to a certain extent, why schools are finding themselves and whether it's a good idea to find themselves in the position of mandating those kind of things. That number one, you can't really back up. Um, and so, you know, that is another example of where we're doing this zero tolerance with the idea of, and we talk about this a lot of, we'll do anything. We'll go to any length. We'll trample on any, you know, potential liberty or right to be able to say we're doing this because of safety. I don't really see that as a school safety issue, so we can. No, but I just think it's interesting that schools are finding themselves in that. So then we take the third sort of zero tolerance, where we have many states where you are mandated that you must. The schools are mandated to do a lockdown drill, mm -hmm. and we have been talking. We've talked so much about aggressive lockdown drills and all the different kind of stuff. But I also think it's interesting to note that we are not taking advantage of, by the zero tolerance, we're in, we're kind of giving ourselves zero tolerance by saying, we must do a lockdown drill, it must be active shooter, and it must be aggressive. Yeah. Um, so when, you're, when states mandate lockdown drills, it doesn't mean they have to be right. active shooters. So why don't you talk a little bit about that, of like what would well, be some other ways that we could do Well, I think, think sometimes the legislation does mandate you have to do X number of lockdown drills and X number of them must be for active shooter response. I think that is mandated in some, uh, in states. some states. Yeah, I, I think, you know, again, it, it, it's tough because legislatures are in a tough position because on one hand, things won't happen unless they are must-dos, right? We understand there's only so many hours in the day, so we have to be able to shift some of our safety undertakings to this is a thing that we must do, and we have to prioritize it, and we have to carve out time for it. But uh, I know, as speaking to a, a chorus of educators here, when we are teaching to the test, right, and we are doing everything that we do is in service of this thing that has been foisted upon us, then sometimes we run the risk of not being able to have enough time to do the things that are right and make sense for my school and for my population and for my students. And so that's a really difficult balance in school safety as well, because on one hand, there needs to be standards. We need to say this is a requirement. Safety is really something that we take seriously in our state and everybody's gonna have to demonstrate a commitment to it. Yeah. But how do we draw those requirements narrowly enough and, and, and that's a problem whether it's a legislative requirement or whether it's an undertaking. Um, we can't say we're going to require every school in America to put in bulletproof drywall. That does not make sense for every school in America when some schools don't have the resources to provide the basic yeah. the basic things that they need to, to do in a school. So that is always a difficult way to make stuff scalable and make stuff 
consistent and you know that we're, and, we're and requiring things and the more that we are always forcing educators to look in one particular direction in terms of lockdown mm -hmm. and and what's mandated mm -hmm. um and, and the the other example that I, that I think kind of goes with this is um, a high school uh, this happened a couple of weeks ago but they had had a couple of big fights they had a suspension they had all this stuff that had happened in like a week it was like a bad week for that particular school so their response um, was to have a and this is literally the words that were used show of force for law enforcement so they had tactical units they had like the armored police vehicles they had the police vehicle regular police cars everyone there um, to sort of have this show of force as part of when they're doing their drill. I, I think it was sort of to coincide with a mandated drill. And so they had this incredible show of force. And I'm not sure to what end. And of course, not surprisingly, it kind of backfired because parents were like, wait a minute, what's happening? So you'd had a week where parents were already sort of concerned about what's escalating out of control mm -hmm. in my school. And there was fights and uh they had had two great big fights and they uh -huh. had had some suspensions for was, kids that had brought a weapon to school uh -huh. but was there a law enforcement response to the big fights so i mean law enforcement I think was already so. involved no but this was earlier so they hmm. waited you know like after this bad week the following week as part of a quote-unquote sort of mandated drill they brought this show of force in Huh. Um, and so, you know, there's part of it is you're like, wait a minute, you turned the page on a really bad week. Yeah, I was say you think you'd want to like return to normal. We're trying to reset the expectations of the way we do things here. Yeah. And the way we do things here are this is a school. But, you know, again, hmm. on the flip side, you know, I always try to advocate for school administrators and school folks as well. There is a point when, you know, I suppose, uh, you know, we weren't there, but where you have these you know, we're not talking two kids shoving each other in a locker room. You know, we're talking about significant numbers of kids involved where you have to sort of send the message that says, we're not, we're not doing this. This is not business as usual. Mm -hmm. I guess the question is, you know, how effective is that? And so I think the more we get into these sort of knee-jerk reaction, zero-tolerant sort of responses, as opposed to thoughtful, strategic responses yeah. going, so why, you know, what happened that we got here as opposed to what we need is some good old optics of like, you know. Boot on your neck? Yeah. So I think that that's always, hmm. and so I, I think the takeaway from this whole conversation is that we really need to be looking at the things that we're doing in response to school safety or whatever the issue might be and really looking at are we doing this because we're supposed to our policy says that or we have zero tolerance and when we find ourselves doing things that we're going uh i don't know you know maybe we need to be able to schools need to have the capability to sort of step back and and take a more strategic approach you know, and well, I don't I think, know how that happens exactly. But. Well, and I think to start, you know, as part of any of these decisions, thinking of what are the unintended consequences yeah. of this. And I think educators do a really good job of doing that um, when we're talking about stuff in the curriculum or in instruction. I think educators do a really good job. These are my intended outcomes from this lesson. What are, what are the things that I'm unintentionally? What are the things that I'm teaching students maybe by accident as part of that lesson? And I think teachers do a really good job of that when it's instruction, but we need to make sure that we're having that same thought process when we're talking about safety interventions. What are the unintended consequences of bringing the uh, SWAT team to a show of force at the high school? 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, so then I want to wrap up today. Let, we'll, we'll transition a little bit back to our old uh, school safety free period. Those of you that have been around a long time, we tended to focus a little more on some of the absurd things. Um, that were too absurd to be true. Too absurd to be but true. But were true. But were true. Yeah. And I hate to like pick on people and kick them when they're down, but, and, and that's not my intent here, but I do think um, maybe there's a little bit of an object lesson here in that we see so much of an emphasis on law enforcement and on the presence of SROs in schools. And then if we just had somebody there, that's all it would take, everything would be fine, we would, all of our school safety issues would be solved, which is patently unfair to law enforcement. Um, and also, completely ineffective and, and a, a fallacy. Um, and so I just kind of, this was a particular incident um, where, you know, we tried to highlight that that just having an SRO or, or an officer in your, in your school without appropriate training does not necessarily indicate that this is going to be the best use. Well, this is one particular... Well, no, wait, I want you to be really precise in your language there. Having a law enforcement official on officially in your school is not going to magically solve our school safety yes. problems. Yes. There can be positive, and it doesn't there necessarily can be positive impacts. There, we've seen high profile incidents of negative impacts. There can be positive impacts, but simply taking a law enforcement official, picking them up and dropping them into your school is not the magical solution that it is purported to be. And taking a law enforcement officer and magically plunking them into your school without any additional training is very problematic, especially training about schools. And unfortunately, as we have sometimes seen, taking someone who perhaps is not terribly effective as a law enforcement officer and putting them into a school situation as like a better fit, like getting them out of the way potentially might be a problem. So we have a couple just particular ones. Um, there, These occurred in Florida. Uh, in one particular one, the safe school officer was on her lunch break and she shot a nude video of herself in the school bathroom. What, um, what part didn't she get? <laughs> she shot it. Okay. She shot a nude video of herself in the school bathroom for her husband. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's something really why sexy you, about school bathrooms. Why are you getting naked at school? Well, uh, the investigation concluded that her response to a school shooting could have been delayed by her disrobed state. I would agree. So I would tend to agree. So I, I guess, you know, we haven't really ever specifically said that, but maybe we need to say probably keeping all your clothes on mm -hmm. would yep. be a good response. I would response. agree. And again, you know, it's not trying, but but really, I mean, it, this speaks to some judgment concerns of like, okay. Um, another officer also in Florida um, pointed her gun at the mirror and pulled the trigger, believing it was unloaded, and instead she fired a bullet through the mirror uh, into an adjacent room. And we have, this is not the first time that a law enforcement official who was in a school accidentally fired their weapon in the school. Right. And again, my point in saying this, because I always cringe <clears throat> that, you know, there's nothing the media loves more than to cover teachers doing ridiculous things. And I always cringe as an educator going, oh, why, why, why? And I'm sure that every law enforcement person is looking at these two things going, ugh, why, why, why? 
but it's, it is important to look at those things because we know that they happen and pretending that they don't happen doesn't help but also it speaks to the the, the need for specific ongoing training for both educators and law enforcement mm -hmm. instead of the idea that if you've graduated from the police academy you know they have ongoing training in everything else why would we not have ongoing training in the unique setting. limitations and 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 needs and concerns of a school setting now i have to say i think getting undressed and taking a sexy video in the library bathroom probably not a good idea either so i'm not sure those are unique to a school and pointing shooting at yourself in the mirror in the police station probably not a very good idea so but do we really need to have law enforcement officials in schools who don't understand basic gun safety and don't understand basic good judgment why would those individuals need to be in a school any more than they would need to be elsewhere so it is a little bit ridiculous but you just kind of go oh no so Anyone that had the urge to uh, like shoot that video in your school bathroom today, do not. Yeah. In that state of disrobing. I just kind of snickered at the disrobed state. Because you know what? There's a bigger issue here than just the disrobed state. There is like not great uh, judgment yeah. in all of those. So there you have it. All right. We kind of wound up sort of where we started. I mean, it was too absurd to be true, but it was true. That is funny. They're just not, they're not as funny as they used to be. Yeah, that is interesting. Just, you know, that back before accidentally shooting a mirror in school, not great, not funny. Well, and before a lot of these things happen so frequently, you could look at that and go, "Oh, how absurd." Now you look at it and go, "Still, yeah, are we still having that?" Yeah. I, I mean, ten years ago, okay, maybe. Yeah. But still, are we really still doing that? Yeah. And so everyone that wants to put a gun in the hand of every teacher and infuse all of these weapons into our schools with the idea that as long as you're trained nothing bad can happen and this is not a gun stance this is a stance on inserting weapons into a school environment these folks were trained too and were probably more training than most of the way more trained yeah yes yeah uh, and and so the, maybe we need to like push pause on some of these things that are so reactionary yeah well so there you have it um we always say thanks and we always wave to the people who are joining us on youtube and we say hi to folks who are joining us uh only audio while you're walking your dog or brushing your teeth i don't know do you listen to podcasts while you brush your teeth no washing dishes i listen to a lot of podcasts while i'm folding the laundry those type of things um, if you're looking for more information and more resources you can always head to our website www.eschoolsafety.org if you just stumbled across this um, and you're looking for other information or past episodes you can uh, listen directly there you can listen anywhere that you find podcasts and then you can always uh, watch the videos and the live streams directly on youtube and uh, if you have any questions you can always reach to, out to us on the website and uh, let us know if there's anything that we can do to help. Anything else? Nope. I'll say. Thank you. Thanks.